Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Dedicated to Henry Foreman. In the year of the primal Good afternoon, good evening, good whatever, good whomever. This is Alan Averill, Agitators Anonymous, episode, I think it is 186. Someone advised me that I should speak a little bit slower because they were unable to listen to my podcast at 1.5 speed. I said, why do you always listen to podcasts? at 1.5 speed to save time of course was the answer of course so i shall try and speak a little bit slower today well what will agitators anonymous be about today i'm going to talk about daniel eck um the pirate bay founder U torrent who turned a who has now turned a 400 million millionaire as the founder of spotify and some of the things that he's investing in it and also because Spotify's um, capture of bands and musicians within the album cycle, how the album cycle is almost redundant and what it forces you to compromise at the sake of your artistic integrity or your artistic expression. And also just talk a little bit about how a utopian, we could call it egalitarian principle, like Spotify turned out to be just like every other endeavor. I see you next Tuesday, just like every other. Sad but true. I remember sitting in a bar once. Um, I think I was hanging out with... I'm not sure who I was hanging out with. It was either The Haunted or Catatonia or Opeth or somebody who wanted a few afternoon pints around the corner from their venue. And me, being a lady of leisure, was able to um, take them to imbibe with them a couple of afternoon pints when many, many people were paying their taxes hard at the graft, hard at the grindstone, hard, working hard. But, you know, I have other commitments. And of those are, of course, to leisure. What am I talking about? Nonsense, of course. Anyway, I got into an argument with their sound man, Jonas, a Swedish guy, who is an adamant, an adamant supporter of Spotify, of the principles of Pirate Bay. Now, I've often laid out my um, claim or my principles in relation to this in that what Spotify did is I think one of the very first companies who introduced this principle. Now you've heard us talk about the World Economic Forum and this thing that they put out, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Well, 
I think that Spotify is actually fundamentally one of the most influential companies when it comes to this idea. Because if you think about it, I'm sitting here looking at um, hundreds and hundreds of vinyls, um, admittedly my ballast, um, or the things that weigh me down from going off to seek the mystical lands of El Dorado. But either way, um, if I'm struck by lightning when I cross the street going outside now, someone has um, a lot to inherit. Um, you know, once upon a time, I, I inherited about 50 to 80 vinyls from my parents. Cool stuff. Steel I Span, Fairport Convention, Chuck Berry, you held in your hands, Rolling Stones, Let It Bleed. And it was in the first times I ever put a needle on a vinyl. Seminal moments, seminal moments, playing Trey Ombre by ZZ Top on my dad's vinyl. Um, these are the things that set you on your way. And they also give you a very great, it's not just nostalgia, but they give you a very great respect for the art that was created, for the for the work that went into making it. Well, Spotify removed all of that kind of thing. And now what what, what could somebody inherit from their parents? Um, here's the password for my, uh, you know, my Spotify premium. So you don't get any ads or you do get some ads. But here's this. You inherit a password. You inherit literally nothing. You will own nothing. And I think that an awful lot of the sort of bluff and bluster of the World Economic Forum for whatever it's worth. And a lot of the people championing those kind of things, I think they had a little look at where the music industry went and thought to themselves, why? Who needs to own vinyls, CDs, cassettes? Who needs to own the paraphernalia of um, the music industry when we could just create the most corporate, hollow um, live events for people to uh, be shuffled in and out of and told when to, you know, stand here, sir, stand over there, sir. No, sir, you're in the wrong queue, 45 uh, euro T-shirts, etc., etc. And as this city gentrification takes on greater speed, all of those cool old dive bars and rock and roll places will disappear because a new generation don't have that spit and sawdust hands on. Um, I have a vinyl in my hand for the most part. They don't have that experience to fall back on to give them, I think, a great respect for art or what it means uh, to take part in the creative process. Just the beauty of holding that old vinyl copy of Ride the Lightning or whatever it was in your hands was removed by the principles of Spotify. Now, if I was to believe my friend Jonas, which I didn't believe him at the time, we ended up in quite the shouting match, um, and I would very much like to read him the net worth of um, Daniel Ek, the owner of Spotify right now, $400 million dollars. Um, Seems strange to me that one top person sitting at the top of a so-called utopian, egalitarian, um, pseudo-socialist system uh, where everyone was supposed to benefit should be sitting on a $400 million profit. While I could tell you, um, quite literally, uh, Primordial, Where Greater Men Have Fallen is the highest streamed song for us on Spotify. And it sits at 3,100,000 plays, something like that. Not to be sniffed at. Of course, it ain't Taylor Swift, but... It's not to be sniffed at. Um, and what that has ultimately meant in the eight, six, seven, eight years since the release of that record is about, if I can do my maths correctly, about $9,000 of profit for that one song. Now, of course, that um, song was recorded for now when um, digital, um, the digital parameters were not quite fully established. So... Of course, Primordial is signed to a label. We're signed to Metal Blade. I couldn't tell you off the head, off the top of my head, what our digital percentages are, but of course, um, they are split between label and band. Sometimes they're twenty-five percent to the band, twenty percent to the band on old contracts, and the rest go to the label. And that money that um, don't forget that all of the big labels bought into Spotify to get themselves a greater dividend, uh, which was not passed on to the musician, but also. 
um, the, all those things are cross-referenced, cross-recouped, which means that the money you spend on making the album, let's say you've got €20,000 to make your record, um, the old principle of the record co- recording contract was you have to sell 20001 to make $1. Because every dollar, um, you would got a mechanical royalty or whatever you want to call it, of about $0.85 cents to a, to a dollar which would be taken off your recouping. So the label's profit was, I don't know, four, five, six to one, maybe even more than that. Actually, a lot more than that compared to what a band would earn. I probably should slow down while I'm speaking so people can digest that and then pass it through the mis and disinformation filter. But either way, I know that where Greater Men Have Fallen has been worth about eight or $9,000 over the last 10 years. And that once you take into account the band split, which is then taxed and then taxed at home again, um, those 3,100,000 plays have probably been worth about 150 to $250 to me over the last eight or nine years. Um, and that's just one song. So you can see how the system is operated. And next year, the system is going to change, which will give bands less. Because right now they get naught point, I think, naught, naught three cents per stream. And I think that that's going to change um, next year to make it even um, even harder for small bands. The thing about it is, is that small bands just view Spotify as a good promotional tool. And on those terms, it certainly is. I can see where people stream Primordial. Um, the new album, I think, got streamed 600,000 times in the first couple of weeks. I don't know for how long people listen to um, the whole record. You can see the numbers uh, dwindle as people get past song one, two, three, four. The numbers were encouraging, whatever that means. But now, after the album is now out for a couple of months, you can see we've gone down from like 80, 85,000 monthly listeners to settling back into that 40, 41, 42,000 um, monthly listeners who were the people who always were kind of in and around about the numbers of the band. But it shows you that you get this huge spike and everything, you know, the YouTube numbers move for the videos that you make. And you've spent, don't forget, you might have spent nine months, 12 months, 15 months making this record. You spent countless hours writing the songs, rehearsing the songs, traveling to rehearsal, recording it, editing the videos. I mean, the man hours, um, um, uh, well, speaking of primordial, uh, the hours that we put in um, are vast, really. And then... The album spikes, you watch the numbers go up and the numbers go down. Now, I released a Dread Sovereign album in the middle of the pandemic and the numbers went up and then they went down uh, from, you know, 1,000 monthly listeners to 15,000, then back down. Um, and if we'd been able to tour at the time, like Bastards in every small venue and been able to do a toilet tour and then a bigger tour, whatever it was, we could have capitalized on the momentum. But the momentum um, diminishes and dissipates very, very quickly. And already I'm being asked... Um, so what's the what are the next plans? What are the next plans? It took us five years to get from Exile Amongst the Ruins to um, the new album. And so what you are doing is you are, as a musician, you're being forced into this new paradigm. As someone who does it very well is my old friend Sakis from Rotten Christ. Um, every four, five, six, eight weeks, there's a new Rotten Christ song, a split song, an old song, a live song, because that's what constantly moves the algorithm and spikes and pushes the algorithm. And you see people are kind of really, you know, realizing the fact that the album is worth that initial impulse, but they've got to keep some things back in reserve. Now, if you're not able to do that or you don't have that, Primordial doesn't have any unreleased songs from the last album. In fact, there was an argument about not putting all 10 songs on the new album. Should we keep one back? 
but it was causing a lot of arguments between which was what which song was that to keep back but now some couple of months later you see if we had a digital single to release uh, it would spike the number back up because there's so much music out there it's absolutely insane there is when i pick up a metal magazine and this is just a printed magazine like death forever or something or metal hammer or or legacy which is like this huge doorstop of a thing that comes out from germany there are literally hundreds of releases every single week and that's just what you see in the magazine so the market is just absolutely flooded with with so many people and so many bands trying to make music um that spike is not something you can hold on to it goes up and it goes down and then the algorithm is basically saying to you um, and of course, you don't have to play the game of the algorithm. I mean, algorithm be damned, right? The album is there. If people want to listen to it, they don't. But the algorithm is saying, OK, got any more? Got any more? New songs? New songs? What else are you putting out? That's why you constantly see what some bands say. It's a live show from 86. It's a live show from 89. Oh, it's Testament Live at the Fillmore 91 every month. Now, who really needs... Um, four or five live releases by some bands but they're just there to move the algorithm and to try and move people into listening to the album and all that kind of thing um, I talked about it a couple of podcasts ago about Cavalera recording their old stuff now I can see there's much more validity in them doing that because the two brothers are not in Sepultura anymore and they were the driving force uh, behind those first two records but certainly it's designed also to move the algorithm which then in turn moves the um, ability to tour and sell shirts and actually get paid in the real world because you certainly aren't getting paid in the digital world. But this was the kind of utopian vision um, that many of the creators, the originals, the OGs in Silicon Valley in the 1980s and the late 70s, this was the utopian vision that they had if you do a bit of digging, which was um, a kind of just a free world. I think I don't think they quite envisaged how they would literally be putting creative people out of work. And have you noticed now that AI, uh, which was supposed to take away the mundanity of human labor from us, has now come for all the for um, creativity? And this was not quite what we planned. It was supposed to take away those horrible Amazon uh, factory worker jobs and allow us all to, I don't know, learn the sitar or whatever. But in fact, the opposite is happening as people are realizing that it's coming for your creativity as well. But taking a look back, at some of the things the originators of the um, well, the internet of Silicon Valley said, the idea originally, I think, was a utopian ideal that would would somehow benefit humanity, that would remove the barriers, the the middleman between um, the artists and the and the people who listen to them. Uh, because if you think about it, back then it was absolutely outrageous that buying a new CD by a band was almost twenty dollars. I mean, it's it's actually criminal considering that some of them were made for two or three dollars the profit margins for labels were huge now of course there are up-to-date new musicians um you know i've had conversations with them um independent musicians very often electronic musicians are people who don't have the weight of a band behind them or five people to move from a to b with instruments to rehearse to whatever but independent people who are then going look if you master all the platforms and drop your merch in the right place and this, that, the other, you can make a living. Um, of course, it's very hard to teach old dogs new tricks. But I think that somehow this is the difference between um, the analog processes of a working band who have, um, you know, moving parts to their 
artistic process and somebody who's just working alone or the people who said to me well what you need to do is you need to be on twitch and you need to be gaming or you need to be um you make your you know front room into a proper studio and in the morning you know wake up and go well today we're having coffee and blah 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 in a similar way to the guy from trivium does or the guy from dragon force does and i thought this is an impossible task for many many people who have well lives, responsibilities, kids, families, um, or just have the traditional nine to five. They don't have the time. They don't also don't have the audience. Very much the solutions for problems with the music and modern music industry um, are prevaricated or are dependent on having an audience. But you have to have the ability to create that audience in the first place. And for many people whose lives just get in the way of doing that, this is kind of impossible. I would literally have to give over um, every every part of my waking day to trying to hustle, to constantly drive people to buy Agitators Anonymous t-shirts or to buy this or that or the other. But Primordial, of course, is a band, a working band of five people. And um, I'm never going to just sit around playing games and, you know, that whole tip culture that is involved around Twitch. But I'm going to read you something about Daniel Eck. If you were still held on to those uh, utopians, uh, Pirate Bay principles, I wonder how this would sit with my friend Jonas. In November 2021, it was announced that Spotify co-founder and CEO Daniel Eck, worth $400 million, it's his investment company, Prima Materia, has invested 100 million euros, 114 million US dollars in Helsing, an artificial intelligence company based out of Europe that assists in military, yes, military technological ventures. Ah, this is complicated for the morals of the utopians, right? Military technological adventures. So I did a little bit of digging into what the hell is that? And uh, this is from um, a site called TechCrunch, because I thought to myself, now, how has this quote, which a lot, some people have been sharing, not enough people have been sharing. I mean, isn't it amazing that Spotify, uh, like, pays musicians this tiny 0.003, um, you know, cent per stream, but also then encourages them to share with people how many, you know, your, you know, your wrap-up, your yearly wrap-up, um, which basically should say, this is how much, You've not been paid for X amount of streams and it encourages everybody who uses to wrap up, which drives the algorithm and moves more people towards Spotify. And it does really gloss over um, the, you know, the dark heart, I suppose, of what is fundamentally um, inherent, at least to somebody like me uh, in Spotify. And I'm a Spotify user. And I do pay attention to the monthly listeners and this and that and the other. And the sad thing is, just before I get into this story, is that what's happening is that many festival bookers, many agents, lots of people view a band's popularity based on their Spotify, 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 yes, indeed, on their Spotify monthly listeners. Um, now, of course, that is no, uh, you know, there are plenty of bands who have a lot of people listening, monthly people listening, who couldn't pull 200 people to a venue because the audience just isn't, maybe the audience is a modern audience who don't go to gigs, who don't go out, who don't socialize, who don't have that kind of thing as part of their lives. Um, it could be that um, half of your audience are teenagers from a country where you never go and tour in. Maybe you're big in South Korea. Maybe you're, there's all sorts of reasons why your monthly listeners might mean that when you play that Tuesday night gig in Germany, there's only 81 people there, but you've convinced the local promoter, hey, look, we have 200,000 monthly listeners. Um, give us that Friday night or give us that day. And also the same thing happens with festivals. You see bands clearly 
I've gone, I'm not going to mention the labels, but I've done a little bit of investigating. I might do a podcast about this, about how you buy YouTube views and about the best way to buy YouTube views. Just put it into your search engine um, and you'll get lots of articles I've written like it's just such a normal thing. Oh, the, you know, the easy way to buy YouTube views. And there's bands um, I'm not going to mention. Um, I mean, why would they care? But it seems to be a very big thing in this sort of um, symphonic metal pagan metal cutty cookie cutter type um scene that some of the bands that i've looked at um who are trying to follow um well they're trying to follow uh, a beaten path or a, let's say a cynical path to becoming bigger and um, they have to convince people that they have more um views than they do and i'd go and look at sometimes certain labels uh, who shall remain nameless um and they have bands there that have four, five, six million views to their songs. And then I casually, I'll remember the name and I go, well, who are these people? Now, that's not surprising in itself that I don't know uh, modern bands. I mean, look, I admit I don't. But at the same time, I go and I recognize the name and then I go, all right, OK. Oh, and they're playing at Vakken or Summer Breeze and we're on on the other stage. And I will, if it's not too far away or the walk isn't too difficult, go down and have a look. And then I realize, oh, you're playing to like... 800 people in the tent but surely the numbers that you have on youtube should mean you're on the main stage anyway it's it's i understand in a crowded marketplace why people do it but it's cynical and amoral but have a look yourself and i just like i said i might do a podcast on it about how you buy youtube videos but anyway this story daniel Eck puts 100 million into defense startup housing to support democracies support Democracies were these were these the same democracies that uh, locked us down for two and a half years without any uh, democratic voice or choice in the matter? Oh, oh I haven't gone away, you know. Um, but anyway, he's put a hundred million into Primer Materia, and just reading the article, which is a non-biased article about it, it leaves a lot beyond the details, which it doesn't quite explain. But, but. Um, it's a real-time software platform that processes data from multiple sensors directly on vehicles and systems, okay, to provide an integrated view of the operational environment with the aim of faster and more accurate decision-making. Okay, that's, well, I'm, I mean, not sure quite what that means. So unlike some systems which seem to make longer-term organizational changes, blah de blah de blah live scenario, this would be crucial in scenarios like cyber attacks. Ah, so this is um, seems to be an awful lot of money invested in AI defense mechanisms, making unstructured data into information advantage for democratic governments. Now, of course, my alarm bells are set off here by um, the, uh, the the just the two words democratic governments. What does that mean? Because I think we're entering entering a turbulent time in the years ahead with AI, and I think we're entering uh, you know a time where um, democratic governments that we do know and um, have been um, part of the Western of Western society and beyond are indeed moving towards um, I think more authoritarian measures I think that the pandemic the lockdown um, ex expedited that but also the idea that I think an awful lot of I see this in Ireland Ireland is becoming a test ground for new hate speech measures as I've mentioned before on the podcast um, which theoretically allow the police to just come into your home and just confiscate your computer or just confiscate your phone or confiscate whatever and it's up to them to deem whether you have any um, 
uh, potentially hateful material which you may disseminate, basically placing the onus of um, guilt or the onus of proof to prove you are not guilty or you, you, know, you do not have the intent to disseminate this information on you. Basically turning the legal process on its head to, um, you know, that you are guilty but and you have to prove yourself innocent when it should be you are innocent until proven guilty, which was the basis of our, um, well, our legal moral code. So when I hear things like for democratic governments, it kind of raises a few, I get, um, what can I say? My spidey senses tingle because here's somebody who's putting $100 million into what looks like the structure and development of AI technology in order to help democratic governments. Now, as a cynic, um, or at least somebody who's, um, you know, relatively pessimistic or whatever about the impulse of these things, um, at the back end, I'm always thinking to myself, well, governments are mainly have proven themselves more and more to be about power um, corrupt corruption and economics, of course. And when we take into account, I think the internet, the kind of wild west of the internet is is moving to some sort of conclusion whereby misinformation, disinformation, the re-control of the narrative by um, once so-called or so-called democratic states, I think um, is in the process of being, this new terrain is being formed, uh, which in conjunction with AI, as I said, with things like um, hate speech laws and all that kind of stuff, are going to make the world that we, we knew in, say, 2010, very different to the world we're going to know in 2030 or 2025 or 2028. And I think there is going to be um, a lurch towards authoritarianism. I hope to be wrong. But at the same time, something like this, this this big investment by, as I said, uh, utopian one-time Pirate Bay um, egalitarian digital philanthropist Daniel Ek. However, they do say liberal democratic values are worth defending and that artificial intelligence will be an essential capability to keep us safe. Okay, I agree with the first sentence there that artificial intelligence will be an essential capability to keep us safe or not, as the case may be. I think that is yet to be um, that's yet to be proven. Unlike authoritarian regimes, okay, democratically elected governments have a sp- special responsibility to their citizens. They do, to stay democratic. The use of technology needs to be transparent and guided by ethical standards set by us all. Again, as a cynic, I kind of don't believe that, um, you know, the deep state tech or whatever you want to say, or deep state military industrial complex do you think they're going to be transparent to us? And we, we've already seen a World Economic Forum founder, Mr. Schwab, say uh, things like that people need to prove their transparency to the instruments of technology and state and governance, as in your life needs to be transparent, which is, again, part of this miss and dis and um, hate New these all these kind of new laws which are about you proving to the state that you are transparent. Once upon a time, major multinational corporations Uh, Their feet were held to the flame by um, governments when they were uh, proven to not be transparent or corrupt. Now they're saying to you as a person, are you corrupt? Um, what have you got to hide? And there, of course, there are many people who go, oh, I have nothing to hide. What does it matter to me if my the workings, my inner workings are transparent? Well, you may not say this when... We have central bank digital currencies and digital currencies which are linked to all of their everything else. And like I said, the Spotify principle of um, if you can't connect to the Internet, you have no 
uh, your Spotify streaming capability has no worth. Um, you don't own anything. You've, you have nothing at home to play. And it's a very similar principle when it comes to um, everything else in life, really. You know, it's yeah, you don't own your house. You rent your house. You rent this. You rent that. These are all the, uh, you know, the principles, these sort of world economic principles. Um, behind that, you will own nothing and you will be happy statement. Of course, it's been a while since I've talked about this. Um, it's just that there are certain things within this um this conversation, this article that, of course, worry me. The fact that it seems to me that many democratic states across the West are, like I said, um, moving to dismantle certain elements of democracy, that uh, they're removing the checks and balances. I think over lockdown and over the pandemic, they got a great look into how it, how it is to just rule by emergency decree, to not have to pass things uh, through the public eye do not have to pass public scrutiny. Um, I know in my own country, has there been in your country a big investigation into what happened during those years? Do we know where um, things came from? Do we know the decision-making process? In the UK, we've been watching the fallout from their inquiry, which has just proved the politicians to be clueless buffoons for the most part, not understanding really anything and making snap decisions based on, it would seem to be emotional states just... um, like I, as influenced by uh, so-called professionals and experts who clearly have things to gain from all of this turning out a certain way, uh, disaster capitalism and all that kind of thing, because you can you can factor in the idea, the AI conversation, which you've probably seen many many people have about how dangerous it potentially could be. So then you factor in um, something like this, this conversation about. AI defense mechanisms for um, only given to so-called democratic companies. I mean, what if that de- democratic country uh, companies, you see what I did there? Um, oh, Mr. Freud, how you must delight in that mistake, because I do think that the power of the, you know, the uh, transnational, the multinational corporation has supplanted in many cases the um, the power of the state that I think that, um, for example, a country like Ireland doesn't have the political um, weight to resist being told what to do by the likes of Big Pharma or the likes of, um, you know, huge transnational multinational corporations and that an awful lot of our political class are simply lobbied and paid for and part of that institutional process, that structure that, as I said, is lurching away from... Um, democratic principles. I mean, look at what's happened in Canada. Uh, look at what's happened under Trudeau. Look at certain things that Macron has done. Uh, Arden in New Zealand. Lots and lots of lots and lots of examples. Now, of course, you can say they're just blips on the map and that, you know, never put down to malice what you can to incompetence. And I do tend to agree for the most part or for a percentage part. But as anybody who listens to the podcast will know, uh, things reside in the gray area. So when I read this article about it, it seems very philanthropic. It seems very Gatesian, Bill Gatesian, in the sense that like, hey, nothing to see here. It's just a bit of uh, philanthropy. But at the same time, we're talking about Um, You know, the words military and defense are mentioned in this article. And that seems a far, far place, a far, far place away from, as I said, the egalitarian digital philanthropy that was espoused by the Pirate Bay that at the time I took exception to. Um, I wasn't exactly Lars Ulrich, but at the time I thought to myself, well, this is ultimately going to lead to not just not this utopian idea 
that all art will be available to everybody, but it will devalue art. It will demean art, artistic and profession. It will demean it will demean it to the point where nobody thinks they really have to or should pay for anything. And that's kind of where we are. Um, or that's kind of where we are. We've been inhabiting that area for quite a long time. The idea that anybody would pay for music anymore. And so you look back at that whole Lars Ulrich moment between him and Napster. And, you know, Napster, Napster, where's the cash that I've been after? And everybody was kind of disgusted because um, if you've seen that awful um, some kind of monster movie, you kind of looked at him selling his basquets and all his paintings. And you're like, look at this man selling his painting collection for like 18 million euro. And it was all a bit vulgar and disgusting. But when it kind of, when, you know, when all the dust has settled, you kind of think to yourself, oh, okay, the whole Ulrich versus Napster thing, he was trying to sort of stand up for the artist in a, in a misguided way, but he was willing to um, try and stand up for the artist in the face of what was coming. And we see what was coming seems to be Less money for artists, less money for people at the bottom, less money for people in the middle, more money for the percentage of artists who stream huge numbers, because that's the way that the percentage scale is tipped. More money for Mr. Eck and the words military and defence. Indeed. Jonas, are you listening? Get in contact. I got an update to our argument. My friends, Agitate is Anonymous. Um, is just this week a discussion about Spotify. Perhaps I'm being unfair. If you think I'm being unfair, hit me in the comments and disagree with me. Feel free to do that. And I will see you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.